So last week, we began chapter 6 together here in Galatians, and we talked about some practical examples of walking by the Spirit. And specifically, we saw some applications about gentleness, humility, and especially love, as the whole concept of love really dominated last week's paragraph. And in many ways, that then connects to our paragraph this week because this morning we will continue to see what it means to walk by the Spirit and to display His fruit in our lives. And yet, if we wanted to maybe distinguish this week's passage from last week's, it'd be that if the previous section was more focused on love, then as you might have just heard in the Scripture reading, this week focuses more on doing good, doing good. Or goodness, which, like love, if you remember, is in the fruit of the Spirit. And on this, it is interesting, isn't it, that sometimes in the Bible, Jesus and his apostles, and sometimes we, talk about our calling as Christians toward others as mainly one of love, like we talked about a lot last week. But then, at other times, Jesus and his apostles and we talk about how we're called to do good, or good works. Right? Like Jesus said famously in Matthew chapter 5 when he said, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so saved in the gospel of Jesus, we as God's people are to be people of love and people of doing good. Right? And that's because in reality, love and good works overlap. They just each get across a little different emphasis of what we're supposed to do as those who follow Jesus. And in fact, though, I think you can see this distinction with me just in how Paul starts, or Paul talks about this concept of doing good in our paragraph. And to see this, look briefly as we start here at how this paragraph starts and how this paragraph ends. Because first, as you can see in verse 6, the first verse of our paragraph, this idea of doing good comes up right away with that idea of sharing all good things. And then at the very end of our paragraph, doing good comes up again with that general command to do good to everyone. And that word good in verse 6 and in verse 10 is the same word in the original Greek language. And it's a word which rightly is translated as good. That's why it's like that. But if we had to press it further, this word would mean something like beneficial or helpful. And this is the same root word as goodness, which is in the fruit of the Spirit in chapter 5. And so that's doing good or goodness in our passage. It's about sharing good things and doing good to everyone. And it has this idea of being helpful and beneficial to others. But that's not all our paragraph actually says about acting in goodness. Because there's also one other place where good shows up in our passage. And that's in verse 9. And this is interesting, so look quickly with me there, because there Paul says, let us not grow weary in doing good. And what's interesting is this is actually a totally different word in the original language than the word good in verse 6 and verse 10. And it's not the same root word as the word goodness and the fruit of the Spirit. Instead, while this word also can rightly be translated as good, which is why it is, Yet if we had to press this word further, it doesn't mainly mean helpful or beneficial, but this word kalos in Greek is actually the word for beautiful or pleasing. And therefore that means in addition to being good and helpful in verses 6 and 10, verse 9 is telling us to not grow weary in acting good and beautifully in God's world as Christians. 
And taking those two ideas together then, I think those two words for good in our paragraph can help summarize how goodness emphasizes something different than love and what it means that you and I are called to do good. Because while the word love emphasizes truly caring for others and then of course doing loving things for them like bearing one another's burdens, which we talked about last week in verse 2, well that's true of love as for goodness. It overlaps with love, but it's more specifically our calling as Christians, as as those who are saved by God's good grace and who worship the God of goodness. It's our calling to live in a beneficial and beautiful way towards others. And so that's then the overall topic that we're going to see this morning in this paragraph. Goodness, and more specifically, walking by the Spirit in goodness. Which finally then brings us to an outline of how we will go through this passage together this morning. So as usual, we will go verse by verse through this paragraph. And as we do so, we're going to see very clearly three sections together. Three sections. And first, we'll see a specific application about walking in goodness in verse 6. And then second, we'll kind of zoom out and see Paul give a famous principle about sowing and reaping, which is a reason for why we act in goodness in verses 7 through 9. And then third, we'll see a very general application about walking in goodness in verse 10. And so in summary, first, a specific application. Second, a principle that fuels our goodness. And then third, a general application about goodness. But that said, let's then dig in together and begin our first section. And here again, we're going to see a specific application about walking in goodness or doing good. And for this, we're just going to be in verse 6. And so look down, and we will read verse 6. And as we do so, notice this actually has a lot to do with sort of what's going on in this room at this very moment. Galatians 6, verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So to begin, just to understand this sentence itself, first it's helpful to know that the first and therefore emphatic word actually in the original language here is that word share. And I bring that up because that word share is a version of the famous Greek word koinonia, which you might know. And that word koinonia has this idea of fellowship or partnership. And so that said, right away, this verse is talking about sharing, fellowship, partnering with one another. Which for Paul, when he usually brings that up, has this idea of partnership in the gospel of Jesus. And then also concerning this sentence, notice that it's intentionally symmetrical. It's symmetrical, meaning it has the one who is taught at the beginning. And then in the end, it has the one who teaches. But then importantly, actually in the middle is the word. And that's important to know because if you want to think about it this way, this sentence is it starts with fellowship and then it's about being taught and having a teacher, but then what's all that centered around? The word of God, which, which we'll talk about more. But that finally is just in the sentence itself to what these people centered around the word are sharing and that's all good things. And so that's the sentence. But what does that verse actually mean? Why is it written? What does it mean for the Galatians and for us? Well, well, two quick things, two quick things. First, think about why Paul would write this here in Galatians. Especially if you've been with us for a while in Galatians. Because remember, this book of Galatians was written because of false teachers and false teachings that were going on. And it's a book that's mainly been about the one true gospel, the one true word of God about Jesus and what he did. 
And so that, with that in mind, why would Paul then, in concluding this letter, talk about those being taught the word and a teacher and about those being taught sharing all good things with the teacher? Well, because by writing this, one of the things he certainly was doing is he was encouraging these Galatian churches to find and to stick with those who really taught this word of God that he's been writing about who really taught this true gospel and to fellowship with them. And in fact, many commentators studying this will point out that Paul seems to have that main reason in mind for writing this verse. And it makes sense. Because again, there was and there still is today many false teachings and teachers who teach about Jesus. Right? Teachers who say a lot of things, even in the name of Jesus, who might even get a lot of followers but who simply are more so teaching their own thoughts and not actually teaching the actual word of God. Right? And that being the case, as we've seen in Galatians over and over, Paul's made that clear that that's hurtful to people and that is not glorifying to God. And so in basic, again, it seems God inspired the Apostle Paul to write this here so that these Galatian churches, and really for 2,000 years, so that churches ever since this was written would make it a priority to gather around those who actually teach the word and then to fellowship and to share with them. Not because the teachers themselves are so important. Not at all but instead because as we've seen in Galatians over and over, the word of God, the true gospel message of Jesus Christ is of utmost importance. As, as the psalmist says in Psalm 138, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. And so that's the first thing that this verse is getting at. But then second, in terms of what the share all good things part of this verse means, most people will point out that on the surface, this is similar to what Paul writes elsewhere, like in 1 Corinthians 9.14, where he says, quote, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. In other words, there and here, almost everyone agrees, Paul is saying that churches are to find and fellowship with teachers of the word and then financially support them. And honestly, for us, as a church at this moment, we won't spend too much time on applying that because I, as your teaching pastor, am amply shared with in financial support by this church. And so I do just want to say thank you for that. Um, thank you for basically, church, obeying this command here, even though maybe you didn't know this was here. Thank you for obeying this because I, as the teacher in this verse, am very blessed to get to share the word Sunday after Sunday and to do so with a church body that shares in this way with me and my family. So, so genuinely, thank you. And so that's the fundamental meaning, though, of this share all good things. And yet that said, we should also note that on this verse, notice Paul doesn't actually only talk about financial sharing. Rather, it's pretty broad. Share all good things. And so why would that be? Well, just think about it. Think about what this verse here that God inspired Paul to write thousands of years ago means for churches, not just for the one who teaches, but for churches. Because remember, Galatians was written to a bunch of churches in Galatia, churches that were believing false gospels at the time, and that Paul really wanted to believe the true gospel. And so what would this verse mean for them? 
Well, bringing it all together, first is a verse about fellowship, and then it's a verse about fellowshipping around the word of God, and then it's about people being taught the word of God and them caring so much about the word of God that they're financially supporting the word of God being taught. But then finally, that's not even it. This verse then is also about a community of fellowship around the word with teaching and being taught, going on, sharing all good things. Yes, with the teacher, but then also assumedly then with one another. And in that way then, if you want to think about it this way, it's helpful to think of this verse as very similar to verse 2 from last week about bearing one another's burdens. But This is almost like the positive flip side of it. Because on the one hand, right, with bearing one another's burdens, we're supposed to come alongside one another and bear those burdens together. But then on the positive side, this verse is saying, if we have good things, things that aren't burdens but blessings, then we're to make it an aim to share those with one another. Right, and especially to share them in a local church with the ultimate goal of the word of God going forth and being what we center around. And so that in sum is our first section. And again, I am thankful for this church and how we do love the word of God. And I do pray that more and more we continue to love God's word together and fellowship and share with one another like this. So that's our first verse. But that then leads to our second section. And for this now, we're going to continue on and be in verses 7 through 9. And now here we're going to see Paul talk about that famous principle about sowing and reaping and see how that fuels our walking in goodness. And to cover this, we're just going to read the verses all together to start and then we'll come back and take them one at a time. So look down your Bibles, Galatians 6, now verses 7 through 9. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So as you can see in these verses, there's this principle of sowing and reaping, and then there's this idea of sowing to the flesh unto corruption or sowing to the Spirit unto eternal life, and then the application of all that is to do good. Because in due season, we will reap. And so that's the verses. But now to understand what that actually means and what that means for you and I, let's take these verses one at a time. So in first, in verse 7, Paul begins with those phrases, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And in short, it seems that both of these phrases were a way to introduce a warning. A warning. Because that phrase, do not be deceived, means don't trick yourself and get this wrong. Right? And then the phrase, God is not mocked, is getting across the idea, you can't go against God's ways, the ways he works, his justice. God won't be mocked like that. And so that's the setup, showing that what's about to come is sort of a warning. But then what's the warning itself? Well, it starts with that famous principle of whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And that actually is not something that Paul made up. Instead, that was a famous Greco-Roman agricultural principle that had been around for hundreds of years. And so Paul is simply using it in his paragraph here for his purpose. So that's verse 7. That leads to verse 8 where Paul gets more specific about the warning and what he's getting at with this principle. But just because it's been a little while, let's read it again as a reminder. Verse 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, 
but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So notice, Paul doesn't say here, the more you sow to the Spirit, the better chance you'll have of getting eternal life. He doesn't say that. And in fact, it's really crucial that we understand that that's not what Paul is saying. Because if that was the case, then all of a sudden everything he wrote in Galatians would be for naught. And he would be teaching that eternal life depends on our doings and our earnings. And that's what basically all other religions teach, but that is not Christianity. Teaching that what we do impacts our earning of eternal life goes against the gospel. The good news of Jesus where we are saved by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection alone, by grace through faith in him alone. So that's not what this verse is saying. Instead, what's, what's the point here? We'll notice, instead of it being about you and I trying to sow more to the Spirit and less to the flesh, this verse actually is mainly talking about two different types of people. Quote, the one who sows to his own flesh and the one who sows to the Spirit. And hearing that, especially with the spirit con- or the flesh contrasted with the Spirit, we should immediately think back to what Paul wrote two weeks ago in chapter 5 with those big lists of the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Because there, if you remember, we talked about how those lists also weren't about doing good enough or avoiding bad things enough in order to be okay with God. Not at all. Instead, those two lists were also fundamentally about two different types of people, ways of living. And specifically concerning us as Christians, those those lists pointed us to the fact that being those of the Spirit, because we trust in Jesus and the gospel, it means that we aren't content to live in the flesh. Instead, we're seeking to walk by the Spirit. And with that in mind, then, we can see that that's basically actually what's going on here in verse 8 as well. Because the Bible here isn't saying that we must sow enough to the Spirit to earn eternal life. Rather, Paul here is directing these Galatians and us to consider who we are. Do I ultimately sow to my own flesh or do I live a life that sows to the Spirit? And that's why, by the way, this is a warning. Because essentially the warning is, if you sow to your own flesh, meaning if you're the type of person who maybe claims the name of Jesus, but who then unrepentantly just just lives however you want and you really don't have a desire to follow Jesus or God's word, then in the end you will reap corruption. And remember, the reason for that is not because you need to now go and do better. It's instead because being of the flesh like that shows that you don't know Jesus in the gospel. But then on the other hand, this verse is saying, if you sow to the Spirit, meaning if in your life you're trying to follow Jesus and walk by the Spirit by grace, not perfectly but genuinely, then it shows that you know Jesus in the gospel. That you have the Spirit and that will end in reaping eternal life. Not because you earned the eternal life. It's all because of Jesus. But instead, it's just because eternal life is the end result for those saved in the gospel of Jesus and who have the Spirit. And so that's what's going on in verse 8, which finally in the section leads to verse 9. And now here again, Paul applies what he says basically in verse 8. And again, since it's been a while, look down at your Bibles, verse 9. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap 
if we do not give up. And so understand this verse, think of the logic of verses 7 through 9 so far. In verse 7, this broad principle, what we sow, we reap. Verse 8, the idea is, and if we're Christians, we are those, by God's grace, who sow to the Spirit. And in the end, we will reap eternal life. That's coming. Which leads then to verse 9 here, where the application of all that is. And so, since this is who we are, keep on keeping on doing good. And remember, this word good here in verse 9 is that word kalos, meaning beautifully or pleasantly. And so the idea is, this is now who you are in Christ, by grace, by the Spirit. And so go and live and act beautifully and pleasantly in God's world. Because in the end, in due season, you will reap. And again, what will we reap? Remember the last verse. What we're going to, our end, after we leave this planet, is eternal life. And so that's what it means for us. Because it doesn't mean here that eternal life is something we earn one more time. Instead, very simply, I think this verse then applies in thinking that, okay, so as we're here now in our daily lives, as we're trying to do good works by the Spirit for Jesus' glory, we should keep the end result of our eternal life in mind. And especially as we sometimes struggle to do good, right? As, as we struggle against all the weariness we might feel day in and day out, as we struggle against the temptation to maybe just give up doing good because what's the point? Both of which this verse 9 talks about, right? As that happens... We, we should remember that eternal life is coming. <laughs> eternal life is soon coming. And the point of this verse, I think, is that then should fuel us that while we're here for the here and now to do good works. <laughs> because we are those totally saved by Jesus in the gospel. We are those who have and get to live by the Spirit. We are those who are headed to eternal life. That is certain in Christ. And so for now, here, Let's not live for our flesh. Instead, let's live how Christ, how the Spirit wants us and enables us to live. And that is in doing good to others and in living beautifully here in God's world. Which finally and fittingly, in a way, leads us to our third and last section. So that was verses 6 through 9. But now to finish the paragraph... Paul will basically take everything he said in the paragraph so far, especially what he just talked about in 7 through 9, and starting with that so then, which starts verse 10, he's going to give us here a general application to do good. So let's read it now. This is our concluding verse of our paragraph, Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So to begin, notice this verse starts with that, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good. And add that phrase just so we all know, the words as we have opportunity aren't supposed to make us less frequent in doing good, right? Like reading it saying, I'll do good when I have the time, or I'll do good when I have the opportunity in my busy schedule. Rather, that phrase is actually supposed to communicate the opposite, Because doing good as we have opportunity is instead telling us you will have opportunity. (laughs) Meaning God will open up opportunities for you to do good. 
Or to say with the Spirit himself in behind as we're trying to walk by him, it means that walking by the Spirit includes the fact that the person of the Holy Spirit will open up opportunities for us to display his fruit in our lives. And practically then, this means that there is opportunities all around us, church. There are a lot of ways that we can go and do good. And so this verse says, as we have those opportunities, let us do good. But then interestingly, Paul finishes the paragraph by adding then who we are to do good to. And who is it? Well, as you can see, there's two pretty broad categories. First, we're to do good to everyone. But then also, though, second, we're to do good, quote, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And that word especially there in Greek is the word for most of all or chiefly. And so the Bible says clearly here, do good to everyone. And most of all, do good to fellow believers. And we will talk about this more in a little bit, but as strange as that may sound at first, I want us all to know from the outset that this is actually the clear calling for all of us as Christians in the New Testament. We, we trust Jesus, we are totally saved, and we want to live and act like Jesus. And that means loving and doing good to everyone But then especially and most of all, it means loving and doing good to fellow believers. And I know that word especially may sound strange to you, but we will talk about it more in a minute. But first, let's just take those categories one at a time. We're supposed to do good to everyone and especially to those of the household of faith. So first, the Bible commands us to do good to everyone. And and on this, let's just take a minute and realize how broad... (laughs) That command really is. Because Paul didn't have to write this. Right? And especially in the context of Galatians, where there's some serious false teaching going on, where people are really hurting people and saying terrible things about the gospel of Jesus, we could imagine Paul being so upset with that situation that he'd say something like, do good to everyone except to those who are teaching such a wrong gospel or something like that. But, but he doesn't say that at all. Instead, while it is true that in the Bible we should be serious about false teaching because it misrepresents Jesus, and while it is true we should never condone false teaching or any sin or anything like that, although that is true still, the application for these Galatian churches and the application for us, right, when we're thinking about people who don't trust Jesus or or people teaching something that's wrong or we think of people who are really hurting other people or people we don't like still this verse says to aim to do them good (laughs) do good to everyone which which really is an amazing statement and it has been a world changing statement (laughs) like jesus's love your enemies (laughs) and and that then in summary really is to be our disposition our demeanor toward the world at large. And again, this is why goodness is so similar, right, to that word love, because love, on the one hand, emphasizes this idea that in our hearts, we're supposed to, act, we're supposed to actually care about and want the good for other people. No matter how different they are, no matter how much they might not agree with us morally or in our beliefs, no matter how much they may even be really hurting other people, we as Christians are always still called to love, right? To really seek to, in our very hearts, genuinely love them. 
But then as to what that love looks like in our actions, it's doing good, (laughs) always. And so again, this means towards the world, towards our co-workers, our neighbors, toward people online, (laughs) towards those we, we pass in the supermarket, on the street, or in our cars, towards those that bother us or that we may not agree with in anything at all. This still really is our aim, loving and doing good to everyone. And so that's the first thing here. But that then leads, as you can see, to what Paul says at the end. Instead of just ending with do good to everyone, he adds, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And as I said earlier, this do good to everyone, especially or most of all to fellow believers, is most specifically our calling as Christians in the New Testament. And I want to make that clear because we sometimes just summarize our calling as Christians toward others as, or, or as calling as Christians is just love God and love people generally. And in a sense, that is, of course, broadly true since it's our Lord Jesus himself who summarized the law in the Old Testament our calling as loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves. But then, most specifically, as you read the New Testament, there is this emphasis on loving one another in the church as believers, even more than just loving the world. And I know that might sound strange, but just think about some biblical examples with me. For example, think about how Jesus' famous command to his disciples in John 13 about love isn't actually to just generally love, but Jesus actually says, quote, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Meaning Jesus' disciples especially are to love one another, to love Jesus' fellow disciples. And the same is basically true for that whole letter of 1 John, if you've read that before, which is famously about God's love and how God is love, and then it's about our love for others. But there, over and over, the emphasis is not actually on just genuinely loving the world. Instead, the emphasis is how we're supposed to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And the same has even been true so far in Galatians. Because remember last week, to fulfill the law of Christ, which remember we said is the law of love, we're told to bear one another's burdens. Paul doesn't tell us to bear everyone's burdens there, but we're called especially to bear one another's burdens. Or finally, just even analyzing the New Testament letters at large, as you read them, it is amazing how little, honestly, unbelievers in the world at large is talked about. Instead, read the letters. You'll see the focus is on how the church, how we as believers follow Jesus and treat one another. As the phrase one another comes up over and over and over in the New Testament. Now, and the list could go on, but the point is, really, the New Testament ethic, that's our calling from Jesus. Love and do good to everyone. Really, that's, that's true. Love our enemies, do good to everyone, but especially and most of all, love and do good to people who also trust in Jesus. Love and do good to those in the church. And now, again, on that, that may sound weird. And you might even be thinking, that's so discriminative, right? Or that's restrictive, or that doesn't sound good, that sounds clicky. And that's because the question then is, okay, but what then about the world? Doesn't especially or most of all loving fellow believers make us people who might not really love the world? And the answer to that is actually no. This is important. And if you're anything this morning, I hope it's this, because this is so helpful 
and, and, and helping us see how we're supposed to live in our day-to-day lives and how we're supposed to do good. And so, no, it isn't clicky or discriminative to especially love fellow believers. Instead, think about why this would be the case in the Bible. Think about why Jesus would put his emphasis on his people loving his people. Why would that be? Well, quickly, just think about two things. Two things. First and quickly, as you can see here in verse 10, we do good and love especially one another in the church because we who believe in Christ, we are uniquely united in a family-like bond. Right? And that's why Paul says to do good here, quote, to those who are the, of the household of faith. Because the point is, as believers, we truly are in God's family together. And now that does not mean that we're supposed to love the word less, per se, but it does mean that just like we naturally and by God's creation design, just like we especially love those in our own earthly and temporary families, right? Jesus tells us as his followers to especially love and do good to those who are in our heavenly and eternal family in Christ, And so so that's the first reason that we're especially to do good to those who are of the household of faith. But then second, and I think this will help, also just think about how this love, if we have it for one another uniquely and especially, how that then impacts the world as well. And, And here's where I think it might really start to make sense. And to understand this, just think again of Jesus's famous command to his disciples to love in John 13. Because if you notice as you hear this, Jesus, it's awesome, actually has the world in mind when he commands his disciples to love one another. It's interesting. Notice what Jesus actually says, John 13, 34. Jesus commands us, quote, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So think about that. Jesus does not say, by this, all people will know you're my disciples if you love them, meaning the all people. There, of course, is some truth to that. Do good to everyone. But instead, Jesus says, all people will know you are my disciples, that you follow me when you love one another (laughs) as disciples. In other words, in Jesus' plan, clearly, how will the world genuinely see what Jesus is like and who are Jesus' disciples? Well, Jesus says not primarily by how we love them, but by how we love one another. And that's why then us really loving one another and doing good to one another is also really a way to love and reach the world as well. Because in Jesus' plan, they're supposed to see how deeply and truly and because of the gospel, we love one another. And then through that, they see that this gospel of Jesus is real and that the Jesus we're claiming to follow truly is something special. And finally on this quickly, to be clear, this is not just some idea. Rather, I hope we all know that in history, this really has been the main way that Christianity has spread all over the world. And that thousands and millions of people have come to know Jesus for thousands of years. Right? Because while in our day and age, we kind of have started to emphasize things like big concert type gatherings for evangelism or, or events. Or, or we really think that something like a famous person speaking for Jesus would be such a big deal. 
while we think those things are really important in our media age, the reality is that none of those things ever has been or probably ever will be the main way the world is truly loved and reached for Jesus. Rather, what has been the main way for thousands of years that more and more people have been loved and come to know Jesus Christ? Well, in short, it's been this. It's been what we've seen in verse 10. It's been what Jesus told his people to do in his love command in John 13, 34. Not perfectly, but by the Spirit. It has mainly been our brothers and sisters for thousands of years, people knowing and worshiping Christ with one another and striving to love and do good to one another. Right? And then people who are in contact with these believers get to know them and come into their midst. And they see how these believers really do believe what they believe and they really are striving to love one another. And then they basically think, wow, there's something to this. <laughs> because there is. And then through all that, many of them come to know Jesus themselves. <laughs> and that now it is true. We need to say, as we all know, that that's sometimes not how it happens in some churches, right? Because on the other hand, sadly, sometimes so-called believers and so-called churches can be really unloving and judgmental, over the top and harsh and not love in the way that Jesus commanded us, which is a terrible witness. But that's the perversion. <laughs> because still, Jesus' goal and the New Testament's goal is this most of all special love and doing good to one another because we are a family and because in a way that is how we love and reach the world. And so that is our passage, church. It's about us doing good as a family fellowshipping around the word of God. It's about us living beneficially and beautifully in God's world by the spirit as we head to eternal life. And finally, it's about us doing good to everyone, really everyone, but then also, most of all, loving and doing good to one another as believers, to those especially in our local church, which in some ways does bring us back full circle to where we started, because there are a lot of specifics in the trees of this forest here, if you will. But perhaps the simplest takeaway now as we come to a close for us all is to remember the main idea of this paragraph itself. And that's that we are called, brothers and sisters, in God's word to do good. <laughs> and so as we close, like, like last week, I just now encourage you to take this practical paragraph and make sure to make it applicable for yourself. And so ask yourself, Okay, after hearing all that, in what ways can I now go and do good? Right, ask yourself, how can I do good to everyone with a focus on those who don't know Jesus, with a focus on those who perhaps you might not be so prone to do good to on your own? But then also and especially ask how you can do more good to those here in this church, in this local household of faith. <laughs> because remember, one last time, brothers and sisters, we are a household of faith. We, we can think that this thing called church is just something we do once a week on a Sunday. We can try to define church like that, but that was never Jesus' plan. And that is not how Jesus or the Bible defines church. Instead, the truth is we are a local church family. And so in light of that, let's be people of love. Let's seek to do good to all, but especially Let's leave here striving to do good to one another in this household of faith.
Amen? Amen. Let's pray.